Going on 14. Hello, welcome to 40 Going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And this week we are talking about Steve Buscemi, a man who you can annoy about half the internet by telling them that he was a 9-11 volunteer (laughs) firefighter as though they'd never heard it before. (laughs) Alternatively, if you just want to annoy one person, you mention Barton Fink. He was a, he was a firefighter. Barton Fink? No, I mean, well, technically, yeah, I guess he was. He should have been. I mean, technically, would have been more interesting. Would have changed the ending a bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, welcome to the Steve Buscemi show. We this has been on the back burner for a long time. This was supposed to be our second ever person show. Really? So, yeah, this is an idea that's been cooking for probably four and a half years. Wow. And it's been like planned for about two months now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but here we are. Yes. Here we are. Talking about that lovable goggle-eyed bastard, Steve Buscemi. If you like goggle-eyed bastards, you'll probably like the shows on the Podcast Collective. Sure. Such as <laughs> Joel's Own the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour. The K is silent. Tales from the Hard Side. The Empty Rant Podcast, Talk Music to Me, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Yeah, and uh, looking for our older stuff, we are on Apple and Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM. We are on iHeartRadio and Spotify, so find us in all those places. And give us a call if you want to leave us a comment at uh, 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Are there any voicemails? Something I totally know and I'm not checking right now. Now we're good. Yeah, I realized to my horror as soon as he started saying the voicemail number that, <laughs> oh, wait, we've been delaying the show so long that I actually don't know anymore. As is tradition. Yeah, also, if you want to get join us on a chat, you can find us on um, Discord. We have a Discord channel. Right now, we've been talking about meat. Have been talking about meat. There's a, there's a lot of food talk in our... Uh, yeah, a lot of pictures of food. Chat. Yeah. Join us. And dogs and what we're watching or playing sometimes. There you go. On that note, I think it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. All right. We are going with December 13th, 1957, Steve Buscemi's birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, wait. Almost. So, uh, music. The number one song in the land was Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley, which was knocked off by You Send Me by Sam Cooke. Good couple of weeks. Which one's a better song? You Send Me. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Jailhouse Rock is not one of Elvis's best songs, even though it's one of his more popular ones. It's fun, but I agree. Yeah, yeah. there are probably Elvis songs I like more than You Send Me by Sam Cooke, but I'm struggling for one right now. It's Sam Cooke. In the ghetto. My favorite Elvis song is His Latest Flame. The Suspicious Minds. Okay, Suspicious Minds I probably like more than You Send Me. In the ghetto. 
(laughs) And I like that song, even though it's become an inside joke meme for us. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Moving on. Philip Kenneth Collin was born December 8th in London. He is a singer, songwriter, and musician best known for being the co-lead guitarist for the rock band Def Leppard, joining the band in 1982 during the recording of the Pyromania album. And he has both arms. Yes, Patrick. Oh, I know he does. I'm aware. But if he didn't... They only take the arms off their drummers in that band. So he can have the middle seat. What? Like, on the plane? (laughs) Sure. Keep moving. Just that was a joke. Oh, is that what that was? So Sheila Cecilia Escovedo was born December 12th, is better known under the stage name of Sheila E., and is commonly referred to as the Queen of Percussion. She's an American percussionist, singer, author, and actress. She began her career in the mid-1970s as a percussionist and singer for the George Duke Band. Sheila began a successful solo career in 1983, starting with her critically acclaimed debut album, which included the career-defining song, The Glamorous Life. She became a mainstream solo star in 1985 following the success of the singles The Bell of St. Mark, Sister Fate, and A Love Bazaar, with the last becoming one of her signature songs. See, I know Glamorous Life. I don't think I know Love Bazaar. Hmm. You might know it. I think you will, but I'm not 100% on that one. Hmm. Oh, yeah. If you don't recognize it by that point, you don't recognize it. I don't recognize it. Yeah, I know that one. Yep. Born December 13th in Minneapolis, Morris E. Day is an American musician, composer, and actor. He is best known as a lead singer of the time. Known as one of Prince's contemporaries, they first met in high school where they started in the band Grand Central. He acted in several movies, not just with Prince, and released several albums. Oh, there's a period. 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 Yeah. (laughs) End of sentence. Jesus. Good Lord. Anything to say about Morris Day? Oh, we, oh, we, oh. (laughs) I think I just want to move on from that paragraph. Gotcha. All right. And finally, Jerry Lee Lewis, nicknamed The Killer, is an American singer, musician, and pianist. When he was 22, he entered into his third marriage on December 12th to 13 year old Myra Gail Brown. His first cousin, once removed. However, his divorce from his second wife was not finalized before the ceremony took place, so he remarried Brown on June 4th, 1958. The shakeout from the controversial marriage led to this tour being canceled after three concerts. And if you've ever seen the movie Great Bells of Fire, you should, because it's a lot of fun. It's not like the best movie ever, but great performance. Well, we'll just move on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Peyton Place. I've never seen this, but I hear there's... It was a thing. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I honestly don't even really know what it's about. A peaceful New England town hides secrets and scandals. Thanks, IMDb. It's like a soap opera made for movies, is what it kind of felt like. It was supposed to have been... like the. It was based off a book, and it was supposed to have been like this saucy sex ridden type thing for back then well and a lot of times you'll hear a reference to the theme from Peyton Place 
which I assume is from the film. Huh. I don't know. Maybe it's from, is, was there a show or is it just a movie? There was a, there was a miniseries. There was a movie starring Lana Turner. Huh. Maybe I'll actually have to check it out. I mean, I don't know. I think in, in the short term, something like that, I could actually be interested in. Michael Clark Duncan was born on December 10th in Chicago. He was an American actor best known for his breakout role as John Coffey in The Green Mile, for which he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. He also appeared in Friday, Armageddon, The Planet of the Apes, The Scorpion King, Daredevil, Sin City, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, and the acronym of the week, which is TWNY, which I'm pretty sure stands for Teenage Whiny Ninja Yentl. <laughs> teenage Whiny Ninja Yentl, Teenage Whiny. Oi! Streisand on a half shell. Yentl power. That is actually the whole nine yards. Oh. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we did a show on that. Yeah, we've seen that. I don't know how you, that just didn't pop right into your head. Gentle power. One of these days, one of these days you'll get one right. Instead of pizza, they go for gefilte fish. <laughs> Matzo ball soup. <laughs> All right, so TV. The top shows in the land were Gunsmoke, The Danny Thomas Show, You Bet Your Life, and Have Gun Will Travel. Yeah, I could, I could watch, sit down and watch any one of those shows. I really liked uh, Have Gun, Will Travel. I remember there was a block of Westerns on uh, UHF, which was like a Paladin, Have Gun, Will Travel. Wild Wild West? No, no, they were all serious. Like, uh, they were half, uh, I think there were like two or three Westerns and then two or three old war movies. Like, I think uh, Rat Pack. The Rifleman was probably in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good stuff. I almost kind of wish they would have more... I know there's some Westerns out right now, but I don't know. I, wa- I almost want to see like a resurgence in popularity of them. Right now, they're mostly done as really expensive period piece type stuff, which I'm fine with. Hmm. When are we going to get more Easterns? That's what I, I don't, want. I don't want crappy Westerns, you know? Oh, yeah. I want some good stuff, but so I, I don't know. I, I just in it's kind of like my guilty pleasure. I love watching some watching Westerns when I can. So. But anyway, moving on. On December 14th, Hanna-Barbera's first series, The Rough and Ready Show, debuted on NBC. Oh, you definitely recognize them, but I did not know that their names were Rough and Ready. It's kind of like the brown cat with the blue bow tie. Huh. And a there's, dog. A pre- there's a precursor to 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. <laughs> uh, wow, that's a callback right there. <laughs> that's a hell of a callback, Patrick. Kudos. <laughs> I mean, Rough and Ready, you recognize them? They're definitely Hanna-Barbera. Oh, geez. Okay, yeah, I do recognize them. Yeah. You know what they are, just didn't know they had a name. I kind of forgot they existed. Well, yeah. So, uh, Donald Clark Osmond, born December 9th, and is an American singer, dancer, television host, and former teen idol. Osmond's first gained fame performing with four of his elder brothers in The Osmonds, earning several top ten hits and gold albums. Then, in the early 1970s, Osmond began a solo career, earning several additional top ten hits. These include Go Away Little Girl, 
Puppy Love and later Soldier of Love. He also recorded the popular song I'll Make a Man Out of You for the Disney film Mulan. He further gained fame due to the success of the variety series Donnie and Marie. They also released a series of top 10 hits and gold albums and hosted a syndicated talk show. Most recently, Donnie and Marie headlined an 11-year Las Vegas residency at the Flamingo Las Vegas. Osmond and also successfully completed, competed on two TV reality shows, winning season nine of Dancing with the Stars and being named runner-up for the inaugural season of The Masked Singer. He also hosted the game show Pyramid from 2002 to 2004. And he's going to be on Naked and Afraid. Just kidding. How did I not know that it was Donnie Osmond who did I'll Make a Man Out of You? That's like probably in my top 10 favorite Disney songs. Did not know that either. But Mulan's not one of my favorite Disney flicks. I still haven't seen it. Like, I, I wouldn't put it in my top 10 favorite Disney flicks, but that song is amazing. That's because it's by Donny Osmond. He's got a lot of talent. My embarrassing confession for this show will be, when I was young, I was such a fan of Donny Osmond that I tried to change my name to Donny when I was like probably like nine or eight years old, something like that. I tried to tell people, no, my name is Donny. You're and out I, of your element, Donnie. I, I would turn in my homework with the name Donnie, and it became a thing with the teachers. They're like, who the hell is Donnie? And they kind of figured it out and had to call my parents in. Like, we need him to put his real name on his homework. Wow. Yeah. Finally, the last episode of the Nat King Cole show aired on September 17th. Frank Elaine was the first white artist to appear as a guest foregoing his usual salary of $10,000. Other top performers followed suit, including Mel Torme and Tony Bennett. But despite an increase in ratings, the show was canceled due to lack of national sponsorship. Yikes. What do you think about that, Tony? I think it was December, not September. But other than that... I, I like Donnie Murray. And I, I used to uh, watch her show when it was on briefly. Yeah, I think I have an album of theirs downstairs, like an actual vinyl LP. Oh, I have two of them. You don't have the Blu-ray? <laughs> I don't have any. I'm, I mean, they might have something on Blu-ray. I don't, not their show, though. I'd say if with, with him on um, The Masked Singer, he was, that first season, he was easily the most entertaining. He was very good, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what that man his... can move still. What was he? Like, what was his mask? Uh, Was he the penguin? Is that right? No, he was Oh, peacock. Penguin. He was a peacock. Yeah. yeah, he was a peacock. And it was like... I mean, the man was up there hustling it. You can, and that was one of the things like almost immediately was like, whoever this is, is on stage a lot. I mean, Wayne Brady deserved to win. He was better. As good oh, as yeah. Donny Osmond was, Wayne Brady was very, very good. At 62 years old, good on him. Yep. All right, moving on to sports. Kevin McHale, former Boston Celtic and one of the top players in NBA history, was born December 19th. You guys know Kevin McHale? Yeah, he was in the uh, McHale's Navy. <laughs> that was what I was thinking. <laughs> he, he actually made a cameo on Cheers once. Jeffrey Francis Lawson, born December 7th, is an Australian cricket coach and former cricketer. Oh. Lawson was a fast bowler for New South Wales and Australia. For a few seasons in the early 1980s, Lawson was Australia's leading fast bowler, but his career suffered from poor luck with injury. Since his playing retirement, Lawson has been a coach, commentator, and writer on the game. He has broadcast for ABC Radio, Channel 9, and Fox Sports, and contributed to newspapers and magazines in various countries. Oh, no weird cricket facts. Yeah, no fun. No, yeah. Yeah, no, no fun new words time. or anything, yeah. No. 
And lastly in sports, on December 17th, the largest trade in NHL history at the time in terms of number of players occurred. The Chicago Blackhawks moved Nick Mikowski, Jack McIntyre, Bob Bailey, and Heck Lalonde to the Detroit Red Wings for Earl Rybel, Billy Dia, Bill Deneen, and Lauren Ferguson. Yikes. Cleaning house. And that's it for the Twee. You want to play us off, Keyboard Joel? No, I said Joel, not Lucy. Exactly. So Steve Buscemi, the guy everybody knows, can't name a movie that he was like the main character in. Tree Tree Slow. Besides <laughs> the one he directed. I don't one know, of them. Started acting in 85. Film called The Way It Is. Had some early performances in the movies Parting Glances and Slaves in New York. And eventually won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Supporting Male in his role in something called Mystery Train. Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, I'm star. I'm just looking at who's starring in it, and uh, my brain stopped when I saw Screaming Jay Hawkins. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the main guys. That sounds like a DJ from the 50s. You don't know who? Screaming Jay Hawkins. You know who Screaming Jay Hawkins is. Yeah, but I'm just saying the name sounds like a oh. DJ from the 50s. Yeah. yeah, you are. Okay, not wrong. <laughs> All right, so moving on, he showed up eventually as Mink in the Coen Brothers film Miller's Crossing, but he had uh, had to audition twice for this role. It was the first of the five Coen Brothers films in which he performed, and also that year he starred as Test Tube, a henchman of Lawrence Fishburne's character Jimmy Jump in the movie uh, King of New York. He also showed up as Edward in the Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. That was with the Lot 2497 segment of the film. Uh, he's been all over the place. He's Barton Fink in the soup, Reservoir Dogs for Mr. Pink, and is starred as a main character in Ed and His Dead Mother, uh, and also cameoed in some other ones. He seems to be like the background guy for a long time before he gets some full upfront type stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, like most of the time, if I think of him as a lead, even though we saw stuff like Trees Lounge, I'm going to think like modern TV, probably uh, Boardwalk Empire would be the best example. I think that that is his best. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to them, but I heard it was amazing. So, but we'll get to that. So yeah, normally what we do is we talk about the films. Joel, you are the only one who's seen 86's Parting Glances. Which I tried to track down the way it is because I I doing some research on the no wave movement and I couldn't find it, which was his first film. But uh-huh. Parting Glances is he's kind of the lead character, but kind of not. It's more about it's a story about two gay men who are in kind of a relationship together that's kind of tenuous because one of them is in still in love with Steve Buscemi's character, Nick, who is a musician who's on MTV. He's well-known in New York, but he's dying of AIDS. So it's kind of this confusing triangle of of uh, this relationship between these guys uh, in New York City in the 80s. And definitely his character is the most interesting of them all. It's in typical kind of indie film fashion of that time. It kind of just wanders off. It doesn't really like have a solid ending to it. But uh, yeah, he was definitely the standout in that film. Okay. What about Film House Fever? That was in 86. Um, that one, he he is really good friends with Mark Boone Jr., who, for those of you who have seen Trees Lounge, he was 
the other main character in that film, the big guy with that was also in like Sons of Anarchy and stuff. They came up together in New York. They started as comedians, but they became like best friends. And so he was in like the way it is with them. And he was in Phil Mills Fever. Basically what that is, it's like an hour long movie with like trailers and scenes from just like B grade, like schlocky, like Al Adamson movies or uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis. And the two of them play these guys that go to this movie theater to watch these trailers and react. So it's kind of like just a thrown together thing, but they're super young. And at the end, they both get turned into zombies. So I did not expect that. Yeah, it it was kind of fun, but it was it was dumb. All right. So they stop the movie when it gets interesting. (laughs) They turn into zombies and they're like, "Okay, cut. We're done and done. Well, they're in the theater and the movies that they're watching because they get they they pay one ticket and they get to watch like just like all these movies. And at the end, they realize that all the other patrons in the theater are zombies. And so they're trying to get out of the theater. And at the end, they they show all of the zombies standing in the line and they're the last two. Ah. Okay. What about Heart, Josh? You're the only one who's seen that. That was came out in 87. Yeah, it's a boxing movie. Basically, guy at the end of his career been hit too many times in the head. He's set up as an easy win for like the hot up and comer. Uh, a pretty familiar story. Like you, you've seen this parodied in, on the Simpsons. Okay. Steve Buscemi played like a mobbed up fight promoter that uh, was setting up the fight. Hmm. It was, oh. So he was like a, not the main, he was not a main character, but he's one of the featured yeah, he's one of the right. featured performers. Like, you would recognize him because this is, would have been like one of the early performances where people were like, hey, that guy was cool. Hmm. Yeah, it's like third billing. I'd not heard of that one. I just looked it up when you were describing it. I'm not sure why I watched it, but you did. You like boxing movies? I mean, not particularly. <laughs> he really likes hearts. Aw, that is true. His ass is like a heart shape. All right, moving on from that. 1988. Like, he like was an actual heart shape, <laughs> not like it. Like yeah, a, not like, you know. With the veins and the ventricles. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a mess tube, back there. Tubes kind of, and stuff coming out. There's four quadrants to it. And it pulses. Kind of fist-like, doesn't stop pumping. <laughs> kind of fist-like. That's a really upsetting phrase right there. Have you ever been hit by Josh's ass? So vibes. Who hasn't? <laughs> Steve cop. Buscemi. Steve Buscemi has not been hit by your ass. I'm going to guess. <laughs> that you know of. Yeah, as far yeah. as I know. He played Fred in Vibes. For some reason, Joel and I are the only two people that have seen this movie. I have a weird love of this one. It's kind of strange because it's really a terrible movie. With Jeff Goldblum and... Cindy Lauper playing a pair of psychics that are helping to find lost treasure. In- oh, crap. This is the part of the show where I go, oh, yeah, I've seen this one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as is tradition. He plays Fred, just one of the guys at the racetrack where Cindy Lauper is using her thing to win races. Yeah, it's it's not like it's one of those movies that if it was on on HBO, you might not turn it if you're just kind of bored. But. It's not great, but no. the two of them have more have Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper are funnier than they deserve to be. 
it's got a lot of camp value. Yeah. D. Buscemi has a real short scene in it at the racetrack. So moving on to a mo- uh, side where he has more uh, lines. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, Lot 249, where he's starring opposite guy from um, Pump of the Volume. Christian Slater. Yes. Involving a mummy coming back from the dead, death and burning and Julianne Moore. Oh, shit. I, I, I couldn't remember which segment he was. I just looked it up and you were describing it. Yeah. Holy he's the, crap. He's the main guy. Yeah. I vaguely remember this. I watched this like a couple months ago and popped up on Prime. It's a lot of fun. I saw this movie before I knew who he was. So now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, holy crap. That's like. And Julianne Moore. This is like some of my favorite people. And I've totally forgot mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Son of a bitch. But he's he's really good in it. It's it. He plays well along with the, uh, the Tales from Dark Side uh, groove. So, Joel, King of New York. You're the only one who's seen that. That's the one with Christopher Walken, I believe, right? If I remember right, I know I've seen it, where he's like a like a drug king kingpin, and he's been in prison. And when he gets out, he's trying to kind of take things back because he's kind of lost control of things that, during the time he's been locked away. Okay. And Steve Buscemi is, I mean, again, he's this is before he kind of got his star power. I mean, he had done leading type stuff sort of in the earlier days indie films but yeah like you mentioned earlier he played a character named test tube and i don't even remember who he was i'm guessing he was a chemist that was working in the drug factory whatever you want to call it drug lab maybe he was a test tube baby maybe he was actually a test tube and christopher walken just poured liquids into him to see what happened and then lit him on fire all right so miller's crossing i hear i need to see you do. You do. He plays Mink in 1990's uh, Miller's Crossing. Yeah, for like a quirky gangster movie, like, I'm not sure that there's anything else in that category. Seeing that it's it's a Coen Brothers film, it is definitely not your typical mob movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of the storyline, you know, is kind of in that general vein but the way it's done and everything it's definitely got Cohen's fingerprints all over it I don't remember again he's one of those characters that I don't remember his role in the film to be honest I remember I enjoyed the film a lot I see this I think is the beginning of his career you know he had a lot of the weird titles weird names like this I, i'm just going through the book through the movie so like i think i kind of want to see this is zandalee thing from 1991 where he plays opp man which brings up questions but apparently zandalee is a nicholas cage john judge reinhold erotic murder thriller that you didn't know you wanted i don't want that <laughs> it's got steve buscemi that's okay now what about barton fink great film Agreed. Fuck that movie. Patrick just watched that today, and he did not care for it. It was boring. I, as we were talking about pre-show quite a bit, I love this film. It's one of my, if not my favorite, Coen Brothers movie. It made me fall in love with John Goodman. Uh, John Turturro is amazing in it. Even though C. Buscemi's kind of a minor role as the kind of bellhop. Kind of a minor role? He had like four minutes. 
Yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely not. He's there. <laughs> That's he's not. He's in two scenes. No, I mean he's, but he's just kind of there. He doesn't have anything that makes him stand out too much. I, ne- I never would have wasted my time watching this movie if I'd have known he wasn't even in it, and then I wouldn't have had to get upset about how bad it is. But holy hell, John Goodman! Yeah, the acting is is yeah. mostly fine, other than a, a few of the you know side actors. You know, it's mostly you know, John Goodman is obviously good. He's good in fucking everything. That's like saying you know John Malkovich is good. Yeah, of course he is good in fucking everything. If he- tend to agree with Patrick's point of view on films, then you'll probably agree with him on this. And if you tend to agree with my opinions on films, then you're smarter. Then, then, then don't tell people. <laughs> I mean, I'm normally split. <laughs> like I, I am normally when uh, Patrick turns his nose up at something Joel likes, I, I'm usually with Patrick, but um, in this case, I, I'm with Joel. I think you need to watch it again. It has been a long time since I've seen it. This Came out in 91, and probably the last time I saw it was 95. It's a two-hour movie, and it takes an hour and a half for anything to happen. And then when it does happen, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so Billy Bathgate <laughs> plays Irving. <laughs> as, much, as much as I want to drive the, the rant about the movie ca- car down the road, we got to... We could go for a while, yeah. Billy, Billy Bath, Bathgate. Joel and Josh have seen this. Sure have. <laughs> he plays Irving. All right, I'll take that. We'll go. Let's keep moving till we get to the fun stuff. In yeah, I mean, it's, it's another gangster movie. That's that's okay. about all I could tell you about. Yeah, it. it's got yeah. a lot of names in it, and it was very stylized. But again, not a lot to remember. He doesn't it. have a huge role or anything. No, this is a Dustin Hoffman movie. It's not a uh, like when you look at the starring stuff on uh, Wikipedia. He's not even listed. Because it's yeah. primarily about Dutch Schultz, who is Dustin Hoffman's character. Okay. Well, then there's In the Soup, where he plays a little bit more. He plays uh, Steve Buscemi as Adolfo Rolo, which Pat should love this. It's a, a self-conscious screenwriter who has written an unfilmable 500-page screenplay is looking for a producer. You love movies about writers, Pat. No, I, I like movies about writers. Movies about writers with having, having writer's block is not as exciting. Right. Well, and this is one of those movies. Uh, it's it's Steve Buscemi and Seymour Cassell. Uh, it's it's really an actor's film. It's um, uh, an independent film, and I mean, Mike kind of gave you the the rough breakdown of of the storyline. But it's directed by Alexander Rockwell, who was kind of a he did one of the sequences in uh, Four Rooms. Is he related to Sam? No. Oh, that mm. was a legitimate question. At least I don't think so. Not that I know of, anyway. I've never heard them mentioned in the same sentence. Well, not, hor- not a horribly common name. This is one of Steve Buscemi's early roles where he... It's really that two of them are kind of co-stars, but they are the leads in the film. And I don't remember too much about it. I I did remember watching it back uh, in the 90s. Um, yeah, you I was- and I watched this one together. And the only thing I remember about it is he had a shitty movie he wanted to make, and then a gangster gets involved in financing, and things rapidly go off the rails. Exactly. That That's it in a nutshell. It's a decent film. It's 7.1 on uh, IMDb for our, per our earlier conversation. All right. So then we have the movie that everybody remembers him in. First time they've seen him, I think, has been Reservoir Dogs, where he plays Mr. Pink and doesn't tip. The first one where you, where you remember him. Yeah, the first one yeah. where he has, he's not a bellhop. <laughs> <laughs> where you leave the film and you're like, holy shit. 
Yeah. And you remember everybody in it and you seek out their other films and you kind of go crazy. Mm. He's just amazing in this. I mean, it's this, I think, really kind of set him up for the attitude of some of the roles that he has now. Think that in this one, Tarantino just kind of let him go a little bit more loose on it. And like the whole speech in the diner about whether or not you tip and the ending and everything is just fantastic stuff. It's interesting because Mr. Pink, in a lot of ways, is one of the least germane to the plot, like the major plot beats. But like without him, like he's in some ways the heart of the movie. Like the movie is kind of just okay without him. Well, he, he definitely drives the plot forward. Cause like all the other peripheral things are going on and he's kind of the, the voice in the middle, like, Hey, you guys, despite what you're doing right now, there's a whole lot of other things going on that we need to worry about. There's cops outside, you know, who's got the diamonds who's, you know, set us up. You know, he's, he's kind of the, like Josh said, he's kind of the heart of it. So while all the other organs are doing their functions, he's in the middle, keeping the whole thing going. I'm glad that that Quentin put him in this film because he just he killed it, just nailed it. Yeah, I'd say without blonde, white, and orange, there's no story. But without pink, it's not one worth hearing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's key. Like I go with what Joel said. He's kind of like the vessel that the movie's traveling in. It's almost you can almost say that the whole movie's from his perspective, kind of, because he's the one who who kicks the ball down the road. I loved him in it. It's a very quotable character. I was just going to say, yep, very quotable. I mean, the whole film's full of quotes, but he's got some good ones. All right, so moving on, we got 20 bucks. Joel and Josh have seen this. Oh, this this is great. Like, the whole, like, character-driven narrative, kind of like a movie like Shortcuts, only the whole thing is there's a single $20 bill that comes out of an armored car and just passes from hand to hand, and you get to see these different characters interact in their little scenes. Got uh, Brent. I had my, my Josh moment. I saw this movie with you two guys. Oh, oh, I would have been surprised, because like, his scene was one of the big... Like, it was him and Christopher Lloyd as uh, convenience store robbers. And I just rewatched this because I remembered seeing it, but I could not remember his role. And it was on one of the streaming services. So I just watched this just a couple of days ago. And, you know, it starts out kind of lighthearted, kind of fun. And then it gets to their part and everything just gets fucking dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just dark. And, and, and Christopher Lloyd is, is brilliant. Like he plays this cool criminal who picks up on on Steve Buscemi trying to be a grifter, you know, in a diner doing the whole, you know, I'll give you give you 20 bucks and you give me change bit. And he's like, hey, I, you want to make some real money? Come with me. So he takes him out and they go on this spree of robbing convenience stores. And Christopher Lloyd is just cool and calm and polite. And Steve's just getting more and more off the rails. And at the end, he's like, you know, do you want to do this again? He's like, no. He's like, why not? He's like, I just used you for your car. <laughs> and he gets all pissed off and then he kills him. And right. uh, Christopher Lloyd gets away with the money and Steve Buscemi dies. So, spoiler. Spoilers. Yeah, well. But it's an anthology movie that it just literally, like Josh said, it just follows the, the path of a $20 bill throughout the course of, I don't even know if it's a 24 hours. It's, it's an interesting concept. And it's the first time, even though I didn't know who she was yet, uh, I saw anything with uh, Shara Agdashlu in it. 
Like, if you're not a fan of The Expanse, you still might not know who she is. But uh, she's a spectacular actress from Iran. And you've also got Elizabeth Shue, Patrick, and uh, Brendan Fraser. 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 <laughs> There's a lot of people in it. It's worth your time. It's not, you know, life changer or anything, but it's interesting. It's All right. So next one we have up is 1993's Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes movie that everybody was asking for where he plays <laughs> Willie the Weasel. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty minor part of this. Like, I I thought that this was an entirely serviceable, if not great, adaptation of the book, which I was actually kind of a fan of. Huh. So, I and I can't remember if I saw the movie and, like, went back and read the book later. Oh, it's a Crichton book. Mm-hmm. Oh. There you go. Huh. Yeah, I, I can't remember if because I think I probably saw the movie, thought it was cool, and then read the book and was like, okay, wow, the book was better. I was just going to ask, was it a decent adaptation or not? Because Crichton kind of hit and miss sometimes. It was fine. Hmm. Like it, it, it missed a lot of the nuance, especially in the principal two characters. But like honestly, if it hadn't been on this list, I couldn't have told you that Steve Buscemi was in it. Mm-hmm. Same. Now, what about? Ed and his dead mother from the same year. He was full on all Buscemi in this one. I think, I think this is equivalent to Tom Hanks's uh, bachelor party. They get suckered into doing a movie like this at one point. (laughs) I don't know. I have this one on VHS from way back in the day. And I rewatched this one again, too. If you ever want to see Steve Buscemi with the chainsaw. Yeah. Who doesn't? This is the one. Yeah, I don't. I, I didn't care for this one. Guy brings his mom back from the dead over the top. It's Steve Buscemi. Love Steve Buscemi, but the movie itself is poo. It's, yeah, it, it's not great. I mean, for like a Saturday afternoon, nothing else is on. No. It's fine. It's poo, Joel. Yeah, we're talking about like Joel's taste in movies and like the ones he likes and uh, we don't or whatnot. There's the super schlocky ones, and that's where I'm going to diverge from Joel. Like if it's a movie that's a little pretentious, a little up its own ass, I probably like it as much as Joel does. But if it's schlocky and a little stupid and maybe gory or dumb, yeah, that's that's the other category of things that... uh, I think this one, the needle moved a little bit too close to trauma. Yeah, for sure. But it's not it's not gory, though. It's not bloody. I mean, it, most of that's implied. Plus, it has uh, she's married to somebody famous, and I can't remember who now. That's, Margaret. that's your draw? No, it just it was a weird factoid. Miriam, Margol- Miriam Margolis? Oh, she's Kevin Sorbo's wife, or was. I don't know if they're still married. I thought you said somebody famous. Well, he was famous. Oh, Miriam Margolis. She was the... Uh herbology teacher in the harry potter movies that was his mom there you go yeah uh the search for one-eyed jimmy joel is the only person who's seen this movie so i have a lot of high hopes for this being a quality (laughs) film well i'd seen it before but i couldn't remember anything about it and it was streaming so i decided to watch it again i forgot it's 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 definitely an independent film but it's got both taturos in it nicholas actually all three i think it's got nicholas ada and john Got Samuel L. Jackson, Ann Mira, Steve Buscemi, Jennifer Beals, 
there's just a lot of people this oh and sam rockwell basically this guy who left his new york or jersey or wherever they are city goes to school and comes back to make a movie on the town where he grew up and in the course of making the film you know he's not having a lot of luck with with people in the little burb that he's in because they're all just they're and they're all just weird characters they find out that jimmy has gone missing and jimmy has one eye and so then it turns into a documentary about the search for one-eyed Jimmy, um, which they do find Jimmy at the end. And it's it, this would probably, I would say, falls into Josh's category of not great, perhaps, because at the end they find out that Jimmy is uh, was just locked in the um, the laundry room in the basement of the, the building. Spoilers. Yeah, we have a whole one person out there that might see this. Sam Rockwell plays uh, One-Eyed Jimmy, and Steve Buscemi plays his brother, who is helping uh, the filmmaker, you know, search for his brother. Uh, and John Turturro plays Disco Bean. He's a guy that just dances disco constantly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you just talked me out of watching that movie. Yeah, it's fun, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 not. So we have a brief uh, uh, show as the Beatnik Barman from the Hudsucker Proxy in 1994. We've all seen this. I'll be damned if I can remember where seeing him in this. Oh, I yeah, I remember him. Like I, I love this movie. Concur. It's a great movie. I just can't remember this. Scene. You don't like this movie? I hate, we've we've talked about this before. I hate this. No, movie. Yeah, he's been on record as not liking this movie. Oh, I oh. just blocked it out, like most things with Patrick. <laughs> all right, hey, Jennifer so, Jason Lee is just horrible in it. Oh, Her transatlantic it, accent is just awful it's for kids it's a fun frantic kinetic film it just starts and doesn't stop until it's over yeah it's it's fun that's pretty much all films and a lot of stuff happens just to happen there's like no real rhyme or reason to it it just happens yeah Yeah. so moving on to airheads (laughs) did we all see this in the theater together maybe i know at least you and I and Patrick saw it in the theater together. Mike may have been with us. Cause I remember seeing it with you guys in the theater, but I just didn't remember if it was all four of us or not. Yeah, this, I really loved him in. This was fun. Yeah. It was yeah. a lot of fun. He was good in it. I mean, yeah. overall the movie was, is, is very meh. I mean, it feels a lot like, like Wayne's world in a lot of ways. Like it's trying to be Wayne's world and it's not. Hmm. But, you know, you got Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, and, uh, oh, shit. Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah d- dumb guys who are taking over a radio station, and they are, like, stoned-out idiots trying to run a hostage situation. Like, as a concept, it's good. Uh, the execution, yeah, it was like, a, I don't know, a B-minus comedy. hmm It was all right. The Lone Rangers. You can't pluralize the Lone Ranger. <laughs> Steve Buscemi looking his most Dave Navarro-ish. Well, yeah, he plays like the the he's like a pissed off bassist or something, I believe, if I remember right. Yeah, he's got all bassists pissed off because they're bassists. No, usually the bassists are the the calm, cool, collected ones that nobody sees. Heart and soul mm. of the band, along with the drummer, but nobody pays attention to. You can't. Have yeah, I was going to say you could tell Joel's a bassist because no one who is a bassist sees bassists that way. <laughs> 
All right, Pulp Fiction, brief cameo as the Buddy Holly waiter. That's it. He's the one yeah. that does the, the 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 bit about the Dean and Martin or the Amos and Andy $5 shake. Yeah, he plays yeah. a waiter. Yeah, we've been on record uh, how much we love this movie. Yeah. And I, yeah. I was sad to see a Reddit post the other day where somebody had to explain what he meant by Amos and Andy or Martin and Lewis. Are you serious? Yep. See, those kind of questions annoy me, not because I assume that you should have that knowledge, but because I assume you should know what the fuck Google is if you're on the Internet. True. I hold my breath and say, Joel, you're the only person who's seen Floundering, the James LaGrosse and John Cusack, Ethan Hawke film that we've been waiting for. (laughs) Well, I went through I went through a whole period where I was watching, you know, a lot of stuff and a lot of independent stuff. And this one came across the radar, and I I liked James James LaGrosse at the time. I still like Ethan Hawke. It's oh, you're the guy. <laughs> John Cusack's in it. There's and nothing that, wrong with Ethan Hawke. No, he, there's not. But I there was just an opportunity to. I was going to say, why aren't you going after James there? It's, yeah, it's, yeah so. James LaGrosse. Yeah, there's there's the problem. <laughs> you put him in your movie. Well, and they put Jeremy Piven in there too, so that's a problem. It's just your typical 90s, I'm going to make a movie, I'm fresh out of film school kind of vibe. I, I don't remember a thing about it. And I, I looked up to see who Steve Buscemi was in the film, and I have no idea. Right. I, I, if if it, if I've got that much memory of it, it's probably not worth revisiting. So then there's also now I'm curious about this, Josh, because it's who do I got to kill? He's listed as being conspiracy nut and uncredited. But when I look it up for a guy who's uncredited in the movie, his face is sure photoshopped onto the title screen for it with her. (laughs) I'm actually pretty sure that at least Joel has actually seen this, but we knew it as me and the mob. Okay, that's okay. That's that's an alternate title for it. Yeah, this is basically it's a Sandra Bullock movie about she's a writer and uh, she's struggling and she ends up taking a job with a mafia. I'm looking it up. I, I actually think that the only reason I've seen this is you, but I think we knew it as me and the mob. The cast, it just says Steve Buscemi. There's no character listed for him on the on the wiki page for it. And the premise, the it just says struggling writer takes a job with the mob. Yep. So what about Billy Madison, uncredited as Danny McGrath, punching his card to be in Billy Madison? Well, this may be after Airheads. You know, they must have become friends because it seems like after that, he started appearing in all of Adam Sandler's films. Hmm. Oh, shit. There was one other uh, little thing about who do I got to kill slash me in the mob. It was his uh, link into The Sopranos. He starred uh, in this. Also, it had Vincent Pastore, who's a big pussy in The Sopranos. Oh. Wow. Well, sp- speaking of The Sopranos, um, in Search for One-Eyed Jimmy, uh, one of the characters in that is in The Sopranos as well. So maybe uh, they were like, hey, who you want to get in this show? How about that Steve Buscemi fuck? All right, let's do it. All right, sorry, that was terrible. Yeah, and it, was, it, was a song, it was a movie or a show about the mafia, not necessarily made by the mafia. You don't know. Pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. So, again, Joel, only person that's seen living in oblivion. 
that's a Tom DeSillo movie who he was part of the, the no wave movement. Him and Buscemi worked together quite a bit. What does that mean? The no wave movement. It was a movement in the, in New York in the uh, early to mid eighties where uh, filmmakers, like I mentioned, Jim Jarmusch, Tom DeSillo, John Lurie, uh, they were making movies. They were living in Qualler and they had eight, you know, these eight millimeter cameras and they were just making movies because they had a desire to make movies. They were all in bands. They were all, you know, making art. They were all uh, writers and they created these films that they weren't formally trained or anything like that. And some of them went on to have careers and become quite well known. And some of them went on to have other jobs. Oh crap. I've seen this. I'm surprised if you hadn't, to be honest, he plays a, a film director. Well, yeah. that, that's not what reminded me of it. This is the one, like I, I looked at the uh, synopsis. This is the introduction of Peter Dinklage. Yeah, I was waiting for that. I had, I had driven that. This is Peter Dinklage's movie premiere. I, I just, I only remember Peter Dinklage complaining about uh, cliches regarding little people and that the whole dream sequence that he was in was, was bullshit. It's yeah, it's basically just a, a one day on the set of a independent film and Catherine Keener, Dermot Mulroney, James LaGrosse, Kevin Gorgon, who's another one of those guys that pops up a lot with C. Buscemi. And it's good. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it's, you know, it's a movie about making movies. Okay. None there is. I'm pretty sure that was a movie that you guys watched in the apartment and I did not choose to take part in it. That sounds about right. Plus Steve's the lead. So. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. How is it just me and Joel who saw this? Agreed. Because Pat and I, I had a, I had a job. <laughs> I, well, just in terms of like quirky gangster movies, like this is going to be another one of those. Like I would put this up there with uh, like, I, I don't want to say it's not on the Reservoir Dogs level. It's below that, but not super far. Huh. It, it kind of was a post, it was like a reaction to the Reservoir Dogs Pulp Fiction popularity, where it's this kind of quirky crime drama. But Steve Buscemi's character is the one like most memorable thing from it. He doesn't have any lines, if I remember correctly. Uh, or, I think or he might have said something before, because like I, I, I remember him as Mr. Sh, the, the legendary hitman, and I remember Treat Williams as Critical Bill. Yes. Those are like the two big things. And of course, like Jimmy the Saint is an Andy Garcia film. Very stylized. Didn't his character, he wore like a trench coat and had like a, a fedora on and like the blade like came out of his, like they slid out from the sleeves of his jacket or something like that. It was really stylized. Yeah, this is just like silent legendary hitman. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, I mean... Kind of put it on the list then. Yeah, I think if, at least Mike, I think you would dig it. My, Pat, you might be like, it's a cool for the sake of being cool. It's 33% on Rotten Tomatoes and 4.8 on IMDb, IBM. So also, the, he plays the American in 1995's Desperado, which we've all seen. Mm-hmm. Another one Again, in the theater. Quirky character who pushes a plot along. Right. That, this is another one of his cameo bits. It's like, ha, it's Steve Buscemi. That's awesome. Yeah. He was friends with Quentin. Quentin was friends with Robert. Robert said, hey, be in the movie with all my people. All right. Then we got Fargo, 1996. Carl Showalter, 
that uh, if you want to know more about that, we can drop to our Fargo show. Total fucking silence. And we did a Coen Brothers show, too. Yes, we did. Yeah, he's one of the best parts of that movie. That's about all I'll have to say about it, since we did spend a half hour on it already. Yeah. I'm fucking hungry now, you know. On then uh, 96 also saw him do a thing in Escape from L.A. as Map to the Stars Eddie. Another one of the, hey, Steve Buscemi. I just <laughs> saw him in Fargo. This is almost exactly like what happens in Desperado. Like yeah. for a two minute bit, you're like really happy to see him. Yeah. And then you've watched the rest of the movie. Um, and you're like, hey, there's Bruce Campbell, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what this whole movie is. Just like transferred to different cameos. Hey, Bruce Campbell. Hey, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Uh, so moving on hey, to Anne Margaret. No, no, Anne Margaret. Canfield. <laughs> Trees Lounge. You guys have been talking about this. I did not get a chance to watch Aww. it. Tell me why I should have. Well, I mean, this is for one thing. He directed it. It's a great like slice of life about bar flies and the people that have to like interact in their little world, and it's also an influence. Uh, once again, this is another connection to The Sopranos. David Chase, who made The Sopranos, quotes Trees Lounge as like one of his influences in terms of his filmmaking style. Hmm. It made me feel like I was back bartending in Phil's Sports Bar. Is that good or bad? Yes. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, these are not people who are like, wow, I want to spend time with these people. These are like, oh, yeah, that's how those people are. Yep. I, I saw a lot of the same characteristics from a lot of the barflies when I worked there. You know, it's 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 a story about 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 a guy who spends his whole life at this mainly at this one bar. He's always trying to to hustle his way through life instead of doing anything remotely productive. Falls ass backwards into an ice cream truck job and still manages to fuck that up by hitting on his ex girlfriend's fifteen or seventeen year old niece. Yikes! Yeah, yep. it's it, it's it's not a feel good movie at all. But uh, you know, it's it was his first full length feature that he directed. It's well done and well acted and well written, but it it is definitely not not a feel good movie. One of those what you got to watch it once type of things. Yeah, I mean, I watched it again for the show. So did I. And. Mark Boone Jr., who I mentioned earlier, is his basically the the secondary character in the film. And they have kind of a weird relationship where they kind of like each other and hanging out, but they don't. Yeah, it's it's not like like I said, it's not a feel good movie, but it's not like a I'm going to go out and shoot myself in the head kind of movie either. No, it's just it's it's a movie about a bunch of losers, really. I mean, it's, yeah. Yep. And, and, and the people that have to deal with them. Yep. And Carol Kane's in it. Like, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, it's a hell of a cast. All right. Moving on to 97's Con Air, where he plays Garland, the Marietta Mangler Green. We've all seen this. <laughs> yeah, this movie sucks, but I love it. It's a guilty pleasure movie. And he may be the best part. It's definitely better than uh, that terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the box. <laughs> uh... Yeah, he plays the um, Hannibal Lecter-ish murderer, wore someone's face as a hat through three states type of thing, and but then becomes the, the voice of reason somehow later on in the movie. Well, he's also the, smart, the smartest guy on the entire plane, too. Mm. 
And the only one that that walks away out of the criminals outside of Nick Cage, who was already going to be released anyway. Yeah. And like his most quoted line is a line that drives me crazy because, you know, the, the whole definition of irony thing is like just another one of those Alanis Morissette type things. It's like, that's just not irony. <laughs> but anyway, it's like rain, Patrick. So moving on to a movie we want to talk about, The Big Lebowski, where he plays Donnie. Which we've discussed on our Coen Brothers show. I was going to say, yeah, that that was a big portion. Like, I I can't remember. Do we all love this or was this one that... Joel Joel does not. Joel does not. I'm a dissenting opinion, although I've watched it. But he loves Barton Fink. Four times down? Three times down? I don't know. I lost count. That doesn't answer any questions. Just adds more. Just searching for what we've all found in it. Yep. Well, I, I, Patrick and I made a deal, and yep, uh, I've seen it multiple times now, and it's never, I've not changed my opinion on it yet. So, huh. someday, maybe. You'll every every time I watch it, I like it more because the first time I watched it, I did not like it, and my love for it grows every time I see it. Now you're despite loving it. Not true because I haven't even seen it since we did the show. So, your opinion on Big Lebowski doesn't change mine at all, <laughs> sir. So this will this will be a litmus test. So you didn't like the Big Lebowski, but you watched The Imposters, which is the Oliver Platt, Stanley Tucci buddy film that we apparently were looking for. He plays Happy Franks. Joel, you've seen this. What did you think? Yeah, why do you say it like that? You guys like, I mean, I, I I know at least Josh likes Oliver Platt and Stanley Tucci. I do too, but as anytime I see a movie that you're the only person that has seen it, it also always raises a red flag for me. Well, it's written and directed by Stanley Tucci, and it's basically, it's kind of in the vein of like Laurel and Hardy or the Marx Brothers, where it's kind of fast talking, but with some slapstick kind of sight gags. So where, you know, Big Night was successful because it was uh, it was all about the dialogue and the characters and and the restaurant. This is a bit more kind of uh, goofy. Uh, Tony Shalhoub's in it and C. Buscemi plays kind of a similar character character to the wedding singer. He's kind of a depressed suicidal lounge singer. Okay, yeah, it's it's fun, but it's not great. I was a little disappointed because I expected more on the Stanley. Is it, is it better or worse than Nuns on the Run? I don't think I've seen Nuns on the Run, so I'm going to say better. It's got 6.5 on IMDb. So it's something to watch if you've got nothing else on. Okay. So the wedding singer, 88, he played Dave Veltri, uncredited. I know I've seen the wedding singer multiple times. Why don't I remember seeing him in this? He's the, he's the son that gets drunk at the wedding and like he's, oh. he's the best man. And he grabs the guitar, starts playing the guitar and going. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so he becomes a wedding singer. Yeah. yeah. All right. Another moment of, hey, it's Dave Buscemi. Armageddon. He plays Rockhound. Because let's shoot Steve Buscemi into space. <laughs> Why not? Because it's very much easier to teach my uh, fucking. Yeah, you blew it. <laughs> To teach miners how to fly in space than than astronauts to actually drill a hole. Yeah, when when that's your when that's your founding principle, you're already you know starting off badly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie where I love the cast and hate the film. Yeah, yeah. 
and you know his character is is fine uh, but he's funny mhm he's the one that he doesn't he try to like doesn't he go a little like space crazy and try to like blow shit up he's got space dementia or whatever they call it yeah and then they've got him tied to the chair and he's like hey i'm all right yeah. guys that's it. it yep it, it doesn't help that this came out around the same time as deep impact which was similar in my opinion better and still not all that great true billy bob thornton was the best thing about armageddon mm. and that's saying a lot because it was such a huge cast and it was it was ben affleck's first real lead too it just suffered from uh, what you talk about patrick where it was trying too hard to be cool and it's michael yep. bay if you uh, if any of you watch that movie again at some point in your life watch it and none of the cuts are longer than three seconds I think the longest cut in the film is maybe 10 seconds, but it's just constantly cut. And that was just of a animal cracker. Exactly. <laughs> I think it was uh, Liv was like the longest cut when she was crying as Bruce Willis. Uh, yeah. All right. And then uh, Big Daddy, he plays homeless guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He he keeps passing out, and he 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 wants him to buy him breakfast at McDonald's. And it's like they it's after eleven; they don't serve breakfast anymore. Big Daddy was a much better movie than it should have been. I like Big Daddy. Yeah, I'm being serious. It was it was a lot better than I expected it to be. My brother in law took my mother in law to see this, and my mother in law is not the target audience for this at all. No, but it's not it's not a horrible Adam Sandler filthy stupid type movie. I mean, it's it's got some heart. To her, it was. Yeah. Yes. She, do, she doesn't need to see any of his other movies then. No, oh, definitely. Shit, that's where she starts freaking out. He, I still give him shit to it to this day because, like, he took it, they went to see it, like, in a matinee, and for the entire day, she was going on about how much she hated that movie. Was it all the boob jokes? I don't know what it was. I was just glad for someone else in that family to take the heat off me for a little while. <laughs> there wasn't enough Jesus in it. Oh. <laughs> 28 days. Not what I thought it was. I thought that was a zombie movie. No. Well, that's later. Sandra Bullock, Viggo Morgensen. Patrick? I, I don't remember him being in this movie. So I, He was yeah. the counselor. Oh. I saw he was like the head of the, the uh, alcohol recovery place. I saw this movie with a date. So, I mean, I was kind of distracted anyway. Yeah. Uh, she, Sandra Bullock is an alcoholic. She checks herself into a rehab program. And San, uh, Steve Buscemi is like the the head guy there like he's like trying to keep her in line and i took i took a date to see it because she liked sandra bullock and it turned out to not be a typical sandra bullock movie no she was more interested in making out than watching it after a while and i was like okay do you make out in schindler's list patrick also probably not not the first time this one is it's not that i mean it's not that ser- i mean it's not a romantic comedy like some of her other stuff but it's not exactly a hard-hitting, leaving Las Vegas-type alcoholic rehab or re- alcoholic whatever movie. It tried to be. but Alan Tudyk's in it, so it's got that going for it. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then, uh, <laughs> I hate to do it to you, Joel. Animal Factory. <laughs> that, I pop up a lot on this list because I, I, I love Steve Buscemi and I went through a phase. This is another movie directed by him. Based on the the book by Edward Bunker, who also did the screenplay. You guys remember Edward Bunker from Reservoir Dogs? He played Mr. Blue. Oh. 
the old guy with the mustache. The guy that got shot in the face. Yeah. He actually was in prison for a long time, and he's a pretty well-known writer. And Steve wanted to turn this into a film, so Edward came in, wrote screenplay with him, and they made it. Um, it's about uh, Edward Furlong's character, who's a young kid, gets thrown in prison, and he befriends or gets taken under the wing of uh, Willem Dafoe. And it's kind of their relationship. It's not a an Oz kind of relationship, but they consider it to be a pretty realistic portrayal of prison life because, you know, it's written by a guy who spent a good chunk of his life in prison. And Steve Buscemi plays a small part in it because he's busy directing. I don't remember much about it as far as what I thought of it. I, by the time it was over, I was like, okay, I'm glad I watched it. Don't need to see it again. Okay. Well, that rounds out the then. Kicking to the 2001s after this. Uh, we were going to take a break and come back and step into the then now with Ghost World. Spoilers. Alrighty. Spoilers. It's like 20 <laughs> seconds later. <laughs> Is that Soul Ghost? It's a ghost world. Ghost world, it's a g- g- ghost world. Yeah, it's all ghost. All right, we are back and we are stepping into the now of the Steve Buscemi film show with Ghost World, which strangely enough, I have not seen. I just saw this a couple days ago. Oh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. For the first time? Yeah, for the first time, yeah. Oh. yeah. I saw it back when it was released. I think I saw it in the theater. I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it after it hit the rental places. And then I just watched it again this week for a refresher. Yeah, yeah I suspected I would like it, and I was correct. Like, it's not a feel-good movie, again. Like, they're mean teenagers that uh they're smarter than everybody else they hate everybody else for being fake and stupid but they also hate everybody else for being happy yeah about sums it up i've read the comic thora birch and sarah or sarah um uh, scarlett johansson is young little young leads Mm -hmm. steve buscemi he becomes friends with thora birch's character enid because the two main characters, one of them is kind of trying to move on after high school and start her life. And Enid kind of wants to stay where she is and hate on everything. And she becomes friends with Steve and the relationship built forms. And because he was, he was a guy that they were kind of picking on. And then as they got to know him, they realized he was actually a pretty decent guy. And well, uh, Enid does like, yeah. uh, and they actually uh, end up, yeah basically they decide to fuck with him because they think it's super lame that he put an article in the personals for like a misconnections so they pretend to be the girl just to watch him like crash and burn out Mm. but yeah they run into him at a he has a weekly garage sale with his friend and then she buys a record from him she falls in love with one of the songs goes back to See if he's got any more like that, and then 
they become okay. friends. All kind right. of a weird friendship because you know she's a teenager and he's you know, forty year old guy. But yeah, it's it's interesting, you know. Same year, two thousand one's Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within. He does a voice of Neil Fleming. The less we say about this movie, the better. <laughs> I, I think it is unfairly maligned. It's it's not that great. But uh, it was a technical marvel in its time, even if it does exist a little bit in the uncanny valley. It does. I think this would have been a much better movie if they had not tagged the name Final Fantasy on it. I don't know. Most of the Final Fantasies are different enough from one another that I don't know that matters a whole lot. Mm. It's just really, it's very slow. Mm -hmm. But it's it's very pretty to look at. And at the time, like I said, it was kind of a technical marvel where you're watching it going, oh, wow, is this what we can do now with CGI special effects or whatever? Yeah, he did a voice of one of the characters in that. Moving on to Domestic Disturbance, same year. Oh, you missed one. What did I miss? Double Whammy. Oh. I just watched this. So go on. You're the only one that's seen it. Tell me. <laughs> I just watched this yesterday. He plays the partner of Dennis Leary. They're both cops. And Dennis Leary fails to stop a a shoot up at a restaurant and becomes kind of the the butt of the joke in in his city. And Steve plays his partner who's trying to help him kind of get back on track and stuff happens and it, it's it's fun. It's not something you need to see more than one, so Okay. What about Domestic Disturbance? Where he plays Ray Coleman, John Travolta, Vince Vaughn flick? I'm looking it up because I'm trying to... I know I've seen it, but I'm trying to remember. Josh, you've seen this one too? That's... I was sort of hoping Joel remembered it better than I did. Well, all right, then. Yeah. I, on. <laughs> it was at that weird point where John Travolta was still kind of popular, but not really. And Vince Vaughn was, you know, becoming a leading man. And it it just didn't okay. work, in my opinion. Shemmy's okay. barely in this. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Then we move on to Monsters, Inc., where he plays Randall Boggs and is amazing at it. He plays the bad guy in uh camouflage lizard that's helping to steal the screams of the kids. I did not realize that that was him. Really? Really? It was a long time before I got around to actually seeing Monsters, Inc. <sighs> One of, if not my favorite Pixar. I know oh. that's hard. You know, people fight you on that but what were we gonna say mike no i was gonna say i was i agree with you it's in my top probably my top three yeah i like it yeah i think it's uh, right after incredibles for me and he he's just spot on like his voice fits perfectly with that character and like you said he just plays it to the hilt the character kind of looks like him too yeah he pulls it off really well I mean, he does, his voice is so characteristic that he put where he in this in this where he plays like the the henchman it worked really well so mr deeds he plays crazy eyes <laughs> for reasons <laughs> well they crazy his eyes up even more oh yeah yeah i don't think i'll be seeing this one no it was it was it was not as bad as people like to say but it's definitely not good it's it's a remake though yeah which mm -hmm. is the the weird part i didn't realize when i first saw it of all of all things of a frank capra movie Right. I was gonna say, was it Cary Grant or no? Am I? No, I think it was. Uh, I think it was uh, Jimmy Cooper. Dur oh, oh, Gary Cooper. I almost yeah. said Jimmy Durante. I meant Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Stewart, I can see. 
But no, I've seen I've seen the original. Yeah, it was Cary Grant. You're right. No, it wasn't Cary Grant. Was it? Oh, no, I thought it was. Who the hell? Who the hell was it then? It was. I just said it was uh, Gary Cooper. Oh, okay. I mean, one of those three, you'd probably right. Right. If you guess, spin the wheel on those three. But he's typical Adam Sandler, Steve Buscemi character. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the weirdo that's not the lead, but is one that you remember from the film. Well, it's another one of those. Who's Steve Buscemi going to be playing in this movie now? Right. Because you're just waiting for him to show up. In Spy Kids 2 and Spy Kids 3, he plays Romero, the gadget guy. Strangely enough, me and Joel are the only two who have seen this movie. These movies. Yeah. I mean, you guys have kids, obviously. I will tell you this. The fun thing about for the adults about the Spy Kids movies is that everybody's in them. It's it's one of those where... Uh, help me out. Who, who directed Joel? Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, he gets everybody that's ever worked with him and throws him in there for Jimmy Cheech Marin, Steve Buscemi, um, Mike Judge, and you know Antonio Banderas is is the main guy. It's there are a lot of fun and there's enough of the goofy uh, like adult jokes aimed high in there to make make it tolerable. My girls still love like will binge all the Spy Kids movies if they have a chance, and I don't get it, but yeah, Juliana's a fan as well. And, you know, they were fun. It was at Rodriguez is kind of the peak of his popularity before he kind of stopped making movies every five minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Steve, Steve's good at that in the role. You know, he plays and, a good and him stepping into uh, kids movies was kind of nobody was really expecting that. Right. Big Fish, Norther Winslow. We've all seen this one. I love this. Movie. I am a fan of this movie. We've talked at length how I don't typically buy physical media. I own this movie. Mm. It's one of Laura's favorite uh, Tim Burton films. Might be my favorite Tim Burton film. Now, what about Steve's role in this one as Norther Winslow? I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago, and I do not remember him being. He's kind of a minor character, honestly. I mean, you go through the title character, Ian McGregor's life, with all of his various tall tales and uh, like kind of his personal mythology of American myth, like Paul Bunyan, except they're all characters he makes up himself and weaves himself into their stories. Okay. Yeah. Northern Winslow is one of the characters. So, and then Tony Blundetto and the Sopranos, all of you have seen the Sopranos. I am the solo person who has not seen Sopranos, tell me about his character in this one. Well, here's the thing is, like, I put this in because I haven't even gotten to the season where he was a performer, but he directed a season three episode, which is considered one of the all time best called Pine Barrens. Okay, and it's almost a standalone because most of the other characters are off doing their own thing for most of the episode. But at the beginning, you've got these two mafia guys that all they have to do is go to a Russian's house and collect money from him. That's their, it's not even their debt to collect. But words are exchanged, and they end up beating the guy, having to dispose of a body, rolling him up in a rug, and driving him out into the middle of nowhere in the middle of winter. Problem is, is dude's not dead. Oh. He escapes the rug, 
runs off into the uh, forest. They decide that they're going to make him dig his own grave, and he beats the fuck out of them with a shovel and runs off without even a coat. So they don't want to get killed for not having taken care of this guy who they weren't even supposed to kill. All they were supposed to do was take money from him in the first place. And the situation just spirals out of control because now they're lost in the woods, freezing to death and hungry. Hmm. Bars running out on their cell phones. It is a great episode. Is it like a standalone one that I can just find it and jump into it? Yeah, I mean, there are going to be elements of Pine Barrens that you don't get as they check in with the rest of the cast. Okay. But that uh, aspect of it is, I would say, like the main plot is pretty universal. All right. I got to get to this Sopranos eventually. And Pat, you watched the end of it, so you know about Tony Blundetto. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, how in the world am I the only one that's seen The Island? It's been on my list for years, and I've, that's a Ewan McGregor one, right? Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Oh, and, Scarlett, and Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. Oh, I saw that. Okay, so in this one, he it's a Michael Bay flick, but don't let that make you not watch it. <laughs> um, Steve Buscemi, Michael Clark Duncan, Sean Bean, Ewan McGregor, Scarlett Johansson, this amazingly cool sci-fi idea that there is an island of clones living off in the middle of the ocean somewhere. And uh, they're all being told that the rest of the world is being rebuilt after an apocalypse. And as people get drawn every morning to go back to the mainlands and help rebuild everything. And that's the big thing is like, who's going to get, it's kind of, it's kind of got the, um, uh, Logan's runish type of feel where you're going to a new plane when you renew and that sort of thing. When the reality of it is they're clones that are being, kept alive just for their body parts to replace in the actual humans. Yeah. They're, they're, ba- they're, they're basically being farmed. Yeah. They're being farmed for body parts. Now, Steve Buscemi is not a clone. He's just like a worker on this Island helping keep everything. He's like a repairman who talks to Ian McGregor's character and kind of, you know, and at the end of the day, he goes back to the mainland and he lives his life there, but he's the one who kind of triggers off Ian McGregor thinking that he's things aren't all right. He's a MacGuffin. Yes, he is a total MacGuffin in this one. And even though it's Michael Bay, I really enjoyed this movie. Staying on the Steve Buscemi thing, he's dumping so much plot and kind of like, I don't know, I don't know. It almost seems like he wants Ewan McGregor's character, the clone, to know about it. But it's it's really a worthwhile watch at least once. I think I may have seen this as well. The only reason I didn't put my initials down is because it's got such a generic title. Yeah. I, if, I, if I'd clicked on this, I think I might have put my initials down because this sounds super familiar. Yeah. And the screenplay was written by Alex Kurtzman, who did ah. the Star Trek Into Darkness and did the 2014 Amazing Spider-Man. It's like a Michael Bay Light movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Roberta Orsi, who uh, is involved in Lost... Mm-hmm. Fringe. Yeah. So I think I think that's kind of it, as it was directed and produced by Michael Bay, but I think these three guys, because there's also some dude, Caspian Treadwell Owen, who I don't know a whole lot about, but he's like the writer of the story. Uh, but I think Alice Kurtman and Roberto kind of kept Michael Bay at bay. At bay. <laughs> yeah, there's no other way to put it, because it's not super, it's, 
a great story. I mean, honestly, it's if you can find it, it's hard to find. Pick it up if you do see it and then get me a copy, too, because I want one. <laughs> okay, moving on. Art School Confidential. This totally sounds like something that Joel would have seen. It's basically about a kid who wants to be an artist, goes to art school, realizes that it's not all that he thought it was going to be. Plus, there's a killer on the loose. And uh, Steve Buscemi is just a tiny part. He's not even credited. Hmm. Okay. And I think this is by the same guy that did uh, Ghost World. Because I almost watched this. Uh, yeah, Ghost World and Crumb. Yeah, Terry's week off. It's okay. It, it's not bad. I mean, it's it's not something that I need to see again, but it's worth watching once if you like Zwickoff's other films. It's yeah, very so. much in that same tone. So, Joel, you haven't seen Monster House? You know, it's again, it's been on my list and I wanted the kids to watch it. But at the time when it came out, they were not into spooky stuff. And so they weren't they we tried watching the beginning of it and they were like, nope. So okay. never, never came back to it. So this one, he plays Horace Nebercracker, who is the guy, old man living in the house. Oh. Yeah, he's listed as a, as voice and mocap because he, well, he just like Gollum. He like acted it out. Now, if you can get past, you know how Uncanny Valley-ish they were in Polar Express? Oh. It's worse than this. Oh. But... You've got Steve Buscemi, Maggie Gyllenhaal, got Nick Cannon, Jason Lee, Catherine O'Hara, Fred Willard, and Kathleen Turner all doing voices in this. And the whole thing is like there's this big house and Horace Nebercracker is the old man who lives there and he hates kids coming near his house. And all the kids think that they're he's just this mean old man when it turns out that he's actually trying to protect the kids because the house is sentient and eats children. So I can see why your kids would get freaked out by that, Joel. Yeah, it's really good. I almost wish the script is really good. The dialogue, the writing is actually pretty good. It's just they they all kind of look like marionettes. They had that kind of the lifeless eye thing. Visually, it's not great, but story wise, it's good. And Steve Buscemi does a great job as the old man, especially in the very beginning where he rips a tricycle in two. Then he does another voice in Charlotte's Web. Templeton the Rat in the live action version of Charlotte's Web. Hmm. And it's it's good casting. Mm-hmm. He he does a good job as Templeton, in my opinion. He felt who was the guy who did the voice of Templeton in the one from the guy from Hollywood Squares that was always in the center square. Paul Lind. Paul Lind, yeah. He does just as good a job as the rat as Paul Lind did in the animated one. And and it, it was it was well done. You know, it was yeah. enjoyable. As long as you don't try and like fly off the handle with the story in Charlotte's Web, you're going to get a, a good movie out of it. Yeah. The interview. What about this, Joel? 2007. Before we get to that, uh, Delirious, I, I, I had added some. I just watched this one yesterday. Uh, My, Michael Pitt is the lead, who I really like his work. He, he plays a, a homeless guy who hooks up with Steve Buscemi's character, who is a paparazzi who won't admit that he's a paparazzi. He's a, a photographer. And he becomes his assistant and then slowly during the course of the movie surpasses him and, you know, kind of jealousy flares up all works out in the end. But it was really I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I wasn't sure what to expect, but it was really enjoyable. And and his character is kind of this skeevy guy hiding in the bushes trying to get the shot of and get popular and be part of 
that world, but he realizes during the course of the film that he can't interact with celebrities unless it's at a distance. Spoilers. And uh, Michael Pitt's character becomes a celebrity in his own right. So Spoilers. <laughs> it's from 2006. We're not calling spoilers. And I don't think you're going to seek this one out, Pat. No, yeah, probably not. <laughs> okay, Interview. This is his last movie that he's directed. It's actually a remake of a French film. Was it called Lay Interview? <laughs> actually, I think it might have been something along those lines. <laughs> I really was surprised at how kind of much I didn't care for this film. It must be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I better look it up right now. Right? He plays this kind of, he's this guy that used to be a guy that was doing like White House correspondence, kind of, you know, big time journalism. And he's become kind of almost blacklisted and he's only doing like puff pieces for celebrity stuff. And he ends up getting assigned to interview the celebrity who ends up being kind of a little psychotic. Not like, not like she's trying to kill him, but just like. It's just basically them talking in her apartment for the majority of the film. And it just keeps going back and forth between this kind of love-hate relationship. And It's like a, my interview with Andre? Kind of, but with more injuries and... More, more injuries and less food. <laughs> pretty much. It, it was strange, and I, I was really disappointed because I was expecting more out of it. He does a good job. He's, he's essentially the lead. I, I, I don't ever need to see it again. Wow. I don't know how to handle that now. Sorry, Steve. It must be bad. <laughs> so I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. He plays It's so Clint bad he Fisher. only bought one DVD of it or one yeah. Blu-ray of it. I'm sorry. <laughs> he didn't even get the special deluxe one. This will not be in my collection. Oh. Moving on. So, sorry. sorry, Steve. And now I pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Pat and Joel. It's, it's a, your standard Adam Sandler comedy, but a little bit more mature and... You know, he plays a firefighter. He, he's just one of the supporting actors, and it, it's nothing like it's not like a special Steve Buscemi vehicle or anything. Actually, he doesn't play a firefighter. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah, I, I saw this in the theater. I don't remember a whole lot about it. He plays the two main characters, pretend to be a, a gay married couple, so that one of them can get his insurance benefits for his, for him and his kids. Yeah, yeah, and Steve Buscemi plays the the guy that's coming to investigate to make sure that they're actually. Like, oh, that's people. right. That's right. And he's like the, the best investigator that they have. And he's like going through their garbage and interviewing people that they know and ends up being the guy that when they go on trial, he's like the one guy that's against them. It's above average for Sandler. I mean, it's got more of a message to it. I yeah. mean, it feels like it's going to be a really kind of a lot of gay jokes and, and there are gay jokes in it. And, I don't remember Patrick, but Dan Aykroyd played the chief, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who is, uh, Oh, Rob Schneider. His character in that is so freaking racist. It's not even funny, but I think part of it is they're trying to make a point. Like the whole thing is, you know, about stereotypes and whatever, but he plays like, a like a Jerry Lewis playing a China man back in the day. He's doing that exact thing. The big buck teeth and the giant, you know, Coke bottle glasses and it was kind of offensive, <laughs> but yeah, best best thing about that movie was Jessica Biel. Honestly, I she, I agree. She was really yeah. good in it, and and Steve did a good job. I mean, he played a character they you know 
it, it suited well for his character. Then Igor. No, it's Igor. Says you. <laughs> Molly Shannon, John Cusack, kids movie everybody was waiting for, where Steve Buscemi plays a suicidal immortal rabbit. Is he a rabbit or a cat? I think he's a rabbit. I thought he was a cat. I don't know. This is I only saw half of this because I got about through halfway through it and I, and I hit that the hell am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of Juliana's favorites, actually. She loves this movie. Well, she follows her father. Well, you know, she likes kind of the dark side of things and kind of Halloween and, and creepy. And, uh, you know, this is not this is not really a kid's movie for kids. No, it's it aims a little bit higher for the, you know, the thing is, they had so many great actors on this. They had Eddie Izzard, they had Arsenio Hall, Christian Slater, John Cleese. It could have been much better. Yeah, I mean it's it's all right. I, I, I mean, come on, they cast Arsenio Hall as a talk show host. <laughs> There's typecasting for you. I know, right? But Steve, I mean, Steve does a good job. Yeah. His voice is recognizable, and he fits the character. And they kind of made him. Yeah. I think after Monsters Inc., you know, it's finally the point where like he. It seems a lot of actors have that you know low budget stuff. Finally, get into some good stuff. Get some stuff that people know me in. Then this barrage of kids movies. Well, it usually happens after they have kids, and they're like, "I got to make some movies that my kids can watch." <laughs> yeah. they're like, "You're an, you're an actor. I want to see some of the stuff you were in." And they're like, "He's he's like, uh, I can't show him Fargo." <laughs> on Pulp Fiction, even though I'm not in it much. <laughs> can't show Reservoir Dogs. Trees Lounge. Yeah, I better make some kids movies. So, following to that, he's in G Force. Zach Galifianakis trains a bunch of genetically changed guinea pigs to be superheroes. It's just as good as it sounds, I'm sure. You know what, though? It's stupid, but it, I laughed out loud at this one. Uh, Steve Buscemi plays Bucky, and he's a, a gold hamster who continually gets mistaken by a ferret. Uh, as uh, being, Everyone keeps calling him a ferret, but as kids' movies about anthropomorphic superhero guinea pigs go, it's probably one of the best. Such a wide variety of movies in that category. <laughs> Definitely in the top 10 kid movie guinea pig genre. Oh, yeah, totally. It was better than it sounds, but... It, yeah. it would have to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's still not great, but it's it's better than it sounds. I enjoyed it. Yeah. The Messenger. This movie's uh, Ben Foster, Woody Harrelson. It's about a, a soldier who... It's, it's a drama. He... he becomes involved with a, a widow of a another soldier. He's like the guy, they're the two guys that come to the house and say, you know, we're sorry to tell you your brother, your husband, your whatever has died in active duty. Hopefully those are two separate telegrams. Right. And uh, yeah, he gets involved with one of the, the widows. I don't even, honestly, I don't remember much about the movie and I don't remember Steve's role at all. It, it's kind of forgettable. Okay. Then, Grown-ups, thinking of movies that are forgettable. He plays Wiley. I've seen this movie. May have just gotten progressively drunker the more I watched it, because I remember saying to myself, this is terrible, but didn't turn it off and don't recall ever There's a lot of finishing in this movie, though, isn't there? I mean, it's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's a movie chock full of people, but you know, it, uh, Wiley plays uh, basically like the the loser friend... And he, you know, as the movie goes on, he keeps getting more and more into 
by the end of the movie, he's pretty much in like a head to toe body cast. And it's just, you know, that's Buscemi's he's, character. He's a running yeah. gag for the movie. Yeah. 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 Now, Josh, I want to know about Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk Empire is amazing. He is the lead character. He's basically Atlantic City, New Jersey, 1920s, right around Prohibition, height of the gangster era. He's the treasurer and like the big politician. So he's got um, mafia ties. He's trying to also present the legitimate face of Atlantic City in a particularly fraught like 20s mob era. I, I ended up seeing, I think, the first two and a half seasons and didn't get back to finish it. But I, I loved every episode I saw. Cool. I know he got a lot of accolades for this one. It might be the role of his career. Really? Cool. I, it's been on my long list of things to see, but I may have to change that if it's that good. Yeah, I mean, I'm going through trying to knock down and finish all of the big prestige TV. And once I'm done with The Sopranos, this will probably be next. After this, we've got, he plays Bill Blago in Rampart. Another Woody Harrelson movie. He plays a cop who's misogynistic, racist, violent, egotistical, womanizer. Steve's barely in it. It's it's interesting, but, you know, it's trying too hard to be something like, you know, like a training day or something like that. Okay. And it was famous for Woody Harrelson trying to do a Reddit AMA promoting the movie. <laughs> yeah. And people started asking him questions about his personal life and shitty things he'd done. And it was like, come on, guys, I'm here to talk about Rampart. And that did not go over. That's that's not how Reddit works. Mm. Don't say ask me anything and then tell people not to stop asking you stuff. You know? <laughs> Except for that. Yeah. Don't ask me about that. Yeah, it was more of an A-M-A-A-R. Yeah, ask me anything <laughs> about Rampart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's the whole thing. If he had just said, hey, I'm here just to talk about this movie. Yeah, he could have gone into our movies or whatever and been like, I got this movie coming out. You can ask me anything you want about it. Instead of going into the ask me anything category and then treating everybody that tried to, to ask him anything controversial like yeah. they were some kind of asshole. Even I know not to do that. It's interesting to see how celebs interact with that subreddit because Molly Ringwald for a long time became Reddit's darling because she like kicked ass at her AMA. Nice. And then Snoop Dogg uh, got himself super high and started <laughs> asking himself questions. Oh, that was the best. He answered and asking his own questions. Yeah. Oh. Like and you'd see 40 minutes later, he'd go back and answer it. That's funny. <laughs> so hotel Transylvania, another Animated movie, he plays Wayne the Werewolf. Hotel Transylvania is much better than Igor Igor was. Was it better than Monster House? Plot-wise, no. But Hotel Transylvania is still watchable. If it's on, you know, it's not something that I'll be like, oh my god, why are we watching this? But moving on to what I, movie I'm well, watching. It's another Adam Sandler. It's Adam Sandler. Hotel Transylvania, I mean. Oh, that makes sense. I saw 10 minutes of Hotel Transylvania and was like, this yeah, is it's, not it's for an me. Adam Sandler joint. No, definitely not for you. But if it's, if, if for like Joel and I, if it shuts the kids up for a little while, totally. But it's uh, Adam Sandler, Andy Samberg, Selena Gomez, Kevin James, Fran Drescher, Molly Shannon, David Spade, CeeLo Green. It's uh, all about monsters. Got good voices. It's about, it's about a hotel where all the monsters go on vacation. The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. 
this was one of the few movies in my life that I stopped watching and never went back to finish it. I was, I was, it was so bad. I, I rarely ever don't finish a movie once I've started it. This is like one of three movies in my life that I was like, no. And it's got a good cast, but I finished it and you didn't miss anything to be honest. That was the sense I got from it that I was, I was like, if I don't finish this, I'm not going to ever regret it. So what point did you drop off? The last scene I remember was Steve Carell doing the same bit that they did as a team, but by himself. So it was about halfway through the movie. Yeah, about where I fell off, too. As funny as that scene was, I was like, that's the, the first scene I liked. And I had to go do something. So I, you know, I just stopped watching it. And I was like, I'll finish it another day or whatever. And I just never went back to it. And I ended up deleting it off my DVR. And Steve <laughs> plays uh, Steve Carell's partner. They were like a, a yeah. team. And then I forget what happens to Steve that he doesn't, he stops working, but then he tries to make a go of it on his own, I believe, and fails. Yeah. The best part about us seeing Steve Buscemi in that blonde wig. Yeah. All right, Tony, Joel, you want to knock out these three real quick? Uh, the Cobbler, Hotel Transylvania 2, and The Ridiculous Six. Uh, the Cobbler is another Adam Sandler joint. Mm-hmm. Made by Netflix. It's a Netflix joint. Technically, it's a superhero movie. Sounds strange. It, it was the first live action Adam Sandler movie that he that was made strictly for kids because it was a, like it was the exact same situation I was talking about before, where Adam was like, "I need to make a movie I can take my kids to go see." And he's, I want to say, he he works in like the the barbershop next door to the shoe shine or the shoe repair place that adam sandler runs and he i want to say he knew his father who was the original cobbler or one of them and helps keep the secret that he's actually a like a superhero uh hotel transylvania 2 is more of the same i enjoyed it yeah i still haven't seen the third one but i like these series because i like monsters. all right yeah the Ridiculous Six, I have to admit i while i did see it i was not watching it long enough for steve shemmy ever to show up <laughs> it's another moment where I'm like watching the movie like again what am I doing with my life that I've sat here this long it's, it's another Adam Sandler thing yeah. big cast okay story and Steve Buscemi is fine I don't really remember his particular role in it I enjoyed it I watched all of it but you know it, yeah so so then Boss Baby which somehow got turned into a TV show he plays Francis C. Francis Strangely, this is one that you and I have seen. I know, right? What happened there? How did you? I want. I'm curious on how you got got yes. to see this. It's a really long flight to England. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> that's that's how it was. <laughs> I think that the guy in front of me on the plane was watching it, and I'd already finished two other movies. I was like, "What the hell?" Like, I caught a little bit of this. I'll just I'll just see if it was any good. And I actually watched it. It was okay. It's ridiculous. I've watched it once. Yeah, he's in, like you said, he's in his I'm making movies for my kids to see thing. Transformers last night, he plays a Transformer called Day Trader. Do you remember that guy, his character, Joel? Yeah, I believe he was one of like the junk cons. Yeah, he was. Oh, he was the one with the beard. The be- Yeah, he had the beard and had the uh, he was like the one character. It was like your basic NPC shopkeeper guy with all the stuff all over his back yeah he, type of he thing. was like a pile of junk that turned into a robot yeah it was like it was like a junk guy. yeah he was a fun character 
Yeah, the character was really neat. The rest of the movie was shit. <laughs> then moving on to... Oh, another kid's movie, The Death of Stalin. <laughs> I, I know you guys don't trust my opinion most of the time, but I went into this movie, no knowledge of really... I mean, I knew a little bit about Stalin from history, but I didn't know anything about the film. Uh, Steve Buscemi plays Khrushchev, and he actually is technically the, the main character in the film. Hmm. It's funny. It's very funny. It's very sharp. It's very witty. It's dark. And I found myself, I, I was just kind of had it on the background while I was working. And I found myself paying more attention to the movie than my work of, over the course of the film. And I left the movie going, holy crap, that was way better than what I was expecting. And I honestly would recommend it to all of you to watch. Uh, it was really good. Really good. I only haven't seen it. I've actually seen about four and a half minutes of this movie. I, I have only not seen it because Sarah was watching it while we were recording an episode of the show. So I caught it like on the break while I was getting my drink. Yeah, I haven't uh, had the impetus to watch it on my own, considering Sarah already has seen it. And just to clarify, it's not that I don't trust your opinion. It's, you know, I mean, if I didn't trust your opinion, I wouldn't have watched Barton Fink. It's just it's always a gamble. When I trust your opinion. <laughs> It is a crap shit. Well, I mean, Josh has seen part of it, and he wants to see it, so does that say anything? I, I definitely want to see it, by the way, that, regardless of your opinion on it. I, I've heard such good things about it from a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know how it didn't do better. I, I just didn't get to it, is really all there is to it. I wanted to watch it for this show, and I just didn't. And Buscemi is just great in it. Like, he, he steals the scenes he's in. What about Nancy? Nancy looks interesting. It's it's weird. He plays there's basically three main characters. There's Nancy, who's this woman who is kind of aimless, kind of uh, you get the sense that she might be uh, like a pathological liar. And her mom dies and she's going through the stuff or her stuff after she watches a news report about a woman who was kidnapped and they never found her. And they did like an age progression and the age progression looks just like her. So she starts to wonder if maybe she was the kidnapped baby, Nancy. So she reaches out to the parents who the father of the girl was played is played by Steve Buscemi. She goes to their house to visit with them as they're trying to figure out if it really is their long lost daughter. And it's, it's very much an actor's movie. It's a little weird. And the ending is kind of strange, but I'm glad I watched it, but I, you know, I don't know if I would recommend it necessarily. Okay. Dead don't die. Farmer Frank Miller. Yup. This this movie was uh, goofy. And uh, when I was done with it, I was like, I'm not sure whether I like this or not, but that was definitely Jim Jaramusch doing a zombie movie. Yes. Yep. Laura and I watched this and we loved it. Like the running joke where every time they go into the, the restaurant and they're talking about how it looks like a bear did it or whatever. Yeah, that was funny. There were definitely moments I liked. But the end, I think I liked it, but I'm still not sure. Not what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. It is a little bit of a strange ending. But if you like your humor very dry, you're pacing a little slow. And yeah, just a little bit of oddity. I I enjoy it. A little bit of oddity? (laughs) I mean, the ending goes a little sideways, yeah. But it was doing something different. All right. And then Miracle Workers. It's on my list. Did not get a chance to see any of this stuff. 
Oh, well, Patrick talked me into watching this, and I, I am glad we delayed the show as long as we did, because this gave me the excuse to finally watch this. Now, how far did you guys get? I, I watched all of season one and about two or three episodes of season two. And I've, I'm the same. I, I, I watched the first, I've gotten through the first three episodes of season two. I don't like season two as much as I liked season one, but I am a big, big fan of season one. It was so goddamn funny. Steve Buscemi uh, plays God, and it's all about the, uh, heaven and the bureaucracy of heaven and and how God has basically just checked out mentally because the world has just kind of gone to shit. It's just very sarcastic and funny and kind of dark, but also, you know, it's uh, Daniel Radcliffe is one of the executive producers. It's kind of his baby. Hmm. And they're, they're doing a, a, they're doing an interesting thing where in season two, they're not just carrying the story over they're They all play, they, they moved it to the middle ages and they're all like, you know, members of a, a of a city in the, in the middle ages. And, you know, I think they're going to, when they do season three, they're going to change the entire format again. Well, it's an anthology series based off the writings of Simon Rich. So they're doing each of his, uh, his stories they're doing as a season of the show. And I watched all of uh, season one and season two. And I got to admit the more season two, the more I like did a little reading on it and got into the series. I, I think they're both on par with each other. I read in an interview that Steve himself prefers season two just because while he was playing God in the first one, it's a character that by necessity was sort of lonely and disconnected from everybody else. And uh, him playing the town shit shoveler, Eddie shit shoveler, that's his last name. So that's his job. (sighs) He got to interact with the cast more directly and he had more fun in season two. That makes sense. Yeah, because I mean, there were only two characters essentially that he interacted with in in season one yeah he had very minimal interaction laura, laura loved this i it took me a little while to get into it but my favorite episode in season one was when you meet his whole family <laughs> yeah. got you you meet god's whole family and i'm not going to spoil it for mike because i want you know if he ends up watching it it's a, it's a, it's a fun episode but there's there's a scene where when he's got two siblings and they both are doing much better than him he's kind of the the lazy failure of the family yeah, he's the fuck up. Yeah, and him trying to defend, you know, what he did on Earth and then what he created and everything, like him talking about a giraffe, like who doesn't love a dog with a leg for a neck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really good. It's a it's a very it's a very smart, well written and just it's fun. All right. We have come to the end. There's uh just one last thing and only Pat has seen it. Oh. Actually there's one more thing after that. I couldn't figure out how to put it in the notes. Yeah, The King of Staten Island, uh, I watched that today for the show, and it's a good movie, well done and everything. Uh, Steve Buscemi really, you know, he he plays the uh, Pops, who is the oldest firefighter in the firehouse. Pete Davidson is the main character, and his father played a firefighter, much like his dad in real life. And he died in a in a fire when Pete Davidson's character was seven years old. And so he kind of gets to know the people in the firehouse that he worked at. It's not exactly... 100% correct, but that's the easiest way to explain it. And Steve Buscemi okay. plays the oldest man in the, at the firehouse, and they call him Pops. Okay. And I threw this in there because it wasn't in the notes anywhere because I don't know how to classify it. From 2016, it's just a a one-off series called Horace and Pete. It was a, the baby of Louis C.K. They wrote and directed. It's basically like a play 
but on TV or a web on the web internet, it's on Hulu now, but it tells the story of a bar that's a hundred years old and all the, the two people that run it are always named Horace and Pete. So once one of the, the Horace or Pete's have a kid, they name their child Horace or Pete and it just goes on. And th- this incarnation, Louis plays Horace and Steve Buscemi plays Pete. Um, they're cousins who later find out that they're brothers and it's kind of depressing. I mean, it's, it's very smart. It's well-written, but like, it's not an uplifting show at, in any way, shape or form. Alan Alda plays a, a racist, one of the other Pete's Edie Falco's in it. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of people that Louie got into the show, but it's kind of like if you had cheers, but super depressing okay cheers cheers with real people yeah and i didn't i didn't know if i liked it at first like the first two episodes i was like i don't know how i feel about this but by the third episode or so i got it and i really enjoyed it i thought the end was a little hacky but it is what it is and and steve was the character he plays he plays uh, he's got uh, mental health issues and he has to take medication if he doesn't he starts to see things like like monsters and things like that that aren't there. And he freaks out and he does a, he's, he's really, he's really good in it. I mean, it was a part that he could kind of sink his teeth into. So if you like depressing mm-hmm. stories about hundred year old bars in New York city, there you go. Uh-huh. Who doesn't like that? <laughs> right. It's just another typical hundred year old New York city bar story. So now we've come to the end, and if uh, you uh, have a favorite uh, Steve Buscemi movie or television show, or there's something he was in that we didn't cover and you think we should have, maybe we didn't see it, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And again, our older stuff will be on Apple and Google Podcasts, and you can also find us on Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, and uh, go to uh, Podchaser or... uh, Get on your uh, Apple device and leave us a review. We always appreciate that. And uh, we will be back next week with the cover songs three summer vacation. (laughs) What? Three cover, three song. Wait, that uh, doesn't work. Cover songs three. Electric. I was three dollar foot long. I was trying to do a callback to the monster TV. This time it's personal. Yes. Electric right. cover, Lou. <laughs> stole your joke, Joel. You <laughs> did. That's all right. I stole your joke for a bit. Ba-bum. Electric cover, Lou, sounds like a terrible burlesque dancer. <laughs> <laughs> and now on electric cover, Lou. Or delicious Indian entree. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh. I'd like some cover, Lou, and some non bread. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, right. on that note, are we done? Yeah. <laughs> it was a long and strange road to get. <laughs> yeah, it was. I feel like we should have trumpets playing. Born December 13th in Minneapolis, Morris E. Day is an American musician, composer, and actor. He is best known as a lead singer of the time. 
Known as one of Prince's contemporaries, they first met in high school, where they started in the band Grand Central. He acted in several moody, moody's movies, not just with Prince, and released several albums. Okay, do you want to redo that entire paragraph? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to yeah. figure out how to you get want, her let's, out. Let's, let's, let's get the dog situation under control yeah. and redo that whoa, whole paragraph. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hold on one second. I got an idea. It's going to turn over eventually. <laughs> I think your dog is flooded. <laughs> it's like Joel's, Joel's dog and slow curly should form a band together. <laughs> it's like a worse version of Stomp. All right, I put her outside, and then a giant moth came in and landed on my arm. Okay. And the moth is going to go. Whoa, 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 whoa. 